We started in verse 11. Earlier in the chapter, there's two other lost and found stories. A lost sheep, shepherd looking for the sheep. A lost valuable coin, woman looking for that coin that was really her wealth. And in verse number six, the shepherd said this, celebrate with me because my lost sheep has been found. And then in verse nine, the woman said about her lost coin that was found, she said, celebrate with me because my coin has been found. And then as we just read, heard read in 23 and 24, the father, after his son returned, said, we must celebrate with feasting because this son was lost and is now found, was dead and is now alive. And then verse 25 says that when the party started, it was raucous, it was loud. There was music and there was dancing. First point I'd like to make this morning is as Christians, I believe we need to recover celebration. Amen. We need to reclaim partying. <laughs> yeah. I believe that the world has made an art form out of partying, especially in the Western world. A lot of luxury, a lot of expendable income. We have done so much to consume ourselves with partying with entertainment and, and we've des designed exactly what that means for us there has to be overflowing alcohol usually drugs illicit relationships etc all of that I'm just saying that I believe as Christians we need to reclaim celebration when I read John chapter 2 and I see Jesus at a wedding reception performing his first miracle and that miracle happened to be to resupply the run out wine he, you know to, to just make wine and it wasn't just any old wine it was not just good wine it was the best wine and so Jesus was creating let, let's just let's just get connected with it let's break off our religious shackles and let's just recognize that Jesus was creating a great party I'm stepping on some religious toes this morning. I, I understand that. You know, I, I believe that we're pretty good at, at embassy church. In fact, I think we do pretty well at, at, at partying. I believe that we do pretty well at celebration. If you don't believe it, just look at our Facebook. I hadn't looked at our Facebook page for a while. And this past week, I started looking through, and there's just like, like just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling of pictures of just really happy people having a beautiful, fun time together. It's beautiful to see that believers know how to have fun. I remember that first Philip Christian Filipino Christmas party. I was like, I don't even know Filipinos. I have two Filipinos aunts, but I've never really, you know, spent a lot of time with them. They've lived in different places, and here are all these Filipinos that are here, and they're saying we're going to throw a party, and I'm like, I wonder how this is going to be. It was crazy. It was awesome. It became a tradition. People were coming off the street to come to this party. We, we didn't need the hour. It was like a little blast to just have fun. And so I, I just want to, by the way, you know, speaking of partying and celebrating, we're going to have a party July 1st. It's a couple of weeks from now. We're going to have a 4th of July picnic at a park after church. 
come and celebrate, okay? And by the way, in this service, we're actually going to watch a movie. So you got movie and a picnic on July 1st. You say, what movie are you going to watch? It's the one that we've been teasing you about for the last several weeks. You've seen different clips of the heart of man. We're going to actually show the whole movie in that service. And so come bring friends. Say, look, you've never had fun like this in church. We're going to watch a movie. We're going to go to a picnic. We're going to have a blast. So, um, and by the way, let me just say one more thing about celebration. I really believe that every Sunday should be a celebration. And I believe we were celebrating this morning. I felt some celebration rising up from us, especially during our worship. So back to Jesus' miracle. This was his inaugural miracle. He called it a sign, making 150 gallons of water into fine wine to make a good party that went bad even better. And so the point that we can learn from that is, is that Jesus came to bring festival joy. Come on. Like, are you, not, are you not excited about that? Like, Jesus came to bring festival joy. And then it says, there should be music, there should be dancing. We must celebrate with feasting. And by the way, at this time, when this story is told in this place, food, you know, food was plentiful, but not meat. It was for rare occasions. Not everyone could afford it. Not every, you know, it was like, we bring out the meat. But this was not just meat that they were eating. This was the choice meat. This was the best meal that could possibly be served. A fattened calf prepared for an event. And I believe it was actually this event that the father was fattening that calf because he knew his son was coming home. And, uh, and so they're having a beautiful thing. So no matter, this is like, you know what they were doing? It's like when your mom brings out the fine china. You know, when she brings out that extra fork, that extra spoon. This is like the extra special. This is, you know, we see music, we see dancing, it's loud. We know it's loud because the other son's coming in from the fields and he hears the celebration and he was, what's up with all the noise? And and, and there's friends and family in the whole village. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 29. He said, people will come from east and west and north and south, lots and lots of people from every place and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Did you know that the kingdom of God is a feast? Listen to what it says in Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. You don't think God's about partying? You don't think God's about celebrating and it's about feasting. And by the way, there are some people that go, I don't want to attend. I'm a recovered alcoholic and, and, and God set me free, but I don't want to go and be a part of something where there's, where there's flowing wine. That's not going to help me. By the way, I just want to encourage you. This is talking about what God's going to do in heaven. When you get to heaven, all that's going to be cured. Amen. And so you're going to be able, like, you're going to be drinking and no drunkenness. It's going to be awesome. And God's going to set you free. Amen? (laughs) You know what Jesus said? Like, Jesus was always attacked by religious leaders. And one time they came to him and said, Jesus, how come John the Baptist's disciples fast and yours don't? It was a huge put down. They were saying, Jesus, you're not as holy as John the Baptist. You know what Jesus said? Why would they fast now? The bridegroom's here. That's right. yeah. 
It's not time for fasting. It's time for feasting. When I leave, they'll fast. There'll be a time for fasting, but right now is the time for feasting. What Jesus, you know, did you ever notice how much, how often Jesus is eating? Did you ever notice that? Every time you turn the page of the Bible, he's either praying, preaching, or eating. And he's eating with everybody. He's eating with, with saved people, unsaved people. He's eating with the saints. He's eating with the sinners. He's, he's eating. And by the way, you go, well, then maybe he was a glutton like they, they accused him of. No, by the way, Jesus was also a health food fanatic and an exercise freak. All right? And I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious in the way that I say it. But everything that Jesus ate, fish, whole grains, don't get off on this saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy my health. I, I, I know what that's like, okay? Um, and, 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 and everywhere he went, he walked. You talk about aerobic exercise. Everywhere he went and he walked. And so Jesus knew what fitness was. He was strong, all of that. We know that. But, but, but Jesus had fun. He was with them. They, they celebrated together. They got to know each other. They shared fellowship, friendship over the table. Let the food, you know, be served. Let, let the celebration begin. And so we see that. And by the way, you know what I've learned in my life over the last, uh, whatever, how many years? I've also learned that feasting can be fasting. Yeah. I'm sorry. That fasting can be feasting. Yes. There are times that I'm way more happy when I'm fasting than when I'm eating. You know why? Because Jesus said, I have a food that you don't know of to his disciples. He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. There are some times that I'm fasting that I'm way more happy than when I'm feasting. What I'm saying is the joy of the Lord transcends. It's both spiritual and it's physical. It's something that you can experience in the natural and the supernatural. God wants his people to have joy. He wants us to celebrate. He wants us to, uh, to, the next thing is music and dancing. Look at this in Isaiah 35. It says, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You know, I just discovered, we, we live in a house that we haven't lived in for many months, so I just discovered a park nearby my house. And yesterday when I was trying to finish my message uh, from the week, I, I, I just kind of secluded myself underneath a gazebo in the middle of that park, and, and there was no one there, and I just parked my bike, and I, I, uh, I, I it's just around the corner from my house, and, and I parked my bike, and, 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 uh, and I just uh, was, was going over notes and finishing up things. And a woman came in, and she sat down really almost right next to me, just a little bit further away from me than right next to me. And she just uh, started to play polka music. Pol I don't know where you're from, but where I'm from, polka is not our favorite music. And uh, she started to play polka music without headphones. And, and I, at first I was like, I, I was thinking to myself, I wish she would wear headphones. I had a little bit of it, just a little attitude. And, you know, I just, I wish she would wear headphones, you know. And, and then I looked over at her, and she had a big smile on her face. She was so enjoying that music. I just was like, let her go. Let her go. Literally, I just expected her any minute to get up and start dancing, all right? I really did. I was like, any minute she's going to go, you know, to the polka music. And, uh, and then, while she's playing the music, 
I would say a, boy, a brother and sister, I assume, came in. I would say he's about 10. She's about 14. They were throwing a ball together. But they put on rap music. It's like polka and rap competing with each other while I'm trying to finish this, you know. And I'm listening to all this stuff. And you know what I thought about? I thought about it in a positive light. I thought, you know what? People love music and dancing. They love music and dancing. Well, if the world can have music and the world can dance, why can't those who have the true source of joy and his name is Jesus? I believe that there's play. The Bible talks a lot about music, a lot about dancing, and all of these things that should be a... We're, what we're talking about is about joy, about celebration, about party. And if you want to look up, do a Bible study on joy someday in the Bible, you'll see there's a huge theme, Old Testament, New Testament. In 1 John 1.4, John says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And it's one of those really difficult... Um, uh, at, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the phrase for you, me? Uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's the form of it? grammar? What am I looking for? What? Yeah, you, me, us. What's it called? All right, yeah, whatever that form of grammar is. It's, it's difficult because it, you, you can translate it both ways from the Greek. You can say so that your joy may be fulfilled or so that our joy may be fulfilled. And the reason why I totally believe this with all my heart, why it's hard to translate is it, translate into English, either one or the other, is because God meant both. God wants the people that are sharing the gospel to have joy, and God wants people that are receiving the gospel to have joy, and all of them to have joy together. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, it, it defines the kingdom of God this way. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I just pray that God awakens joy in you. No matter how much sadness that you have, no matter how much depression, God says that he wants to give us the, the, the oil of joy for mourning, uh, the garment of praise for, for the spirit of heaviness. And, and, and God wants to just infuse his joy that is unspeakable and full of glory, that the world can't take away, that the world doesn't understand. In Isaiah 51, it says, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. We already read that. Listen to this next one. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. I will make your peace your governor. I will make peace your governor and well-being your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun will no longer, the sun uh, will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine in you. Why? Because the Lord will be there and he will be all the light you need. Amen? Why did this father have a reason to celebrate? Because the son that was dead was now alive. His son that was lost is now found. He had every reason to, to celebrate. But the community didn't have reason to celebrate. Why did they come and celebrate with a father? By tradition, they should have shunned this disobedient, rebellious son who had shamed his father publicly. They never should have come to celebrate him. 
I told you about the, the, the uh, uh, I forget uh, the, the exact terminology because it was a few weeks ago, but anyway, uh, I told you about the ceremony that they have to exile a person who does something like this. Why did they come and celebrate? I don't believe that they just came and celebrated because the son was back. I, be, I believe they came and celebrated because they wanted to share in that father's joy. They still had honor for the father. You know what? If you don't have anything to celebrate of yours, celebrate what the father celebrates. If you feel like you you don't have anything celebrate what he has if you feel like you don't have any reason to be happy celebrate his happiness celebrate his strength celebrate his peace celebrate his understanding of of of, of the end from the beginning and by the way i just want to get graphic about this joy what does it look like if you haven't kind of connected with us yet what does joy look like it looks like laughter it looks like music it looks like dancing it looks like food it looks like conversation it looks like hugs and kisses it looks like embraces this is why the apostle paul told the church in Philippi rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice come on church let's just celebrate come on I love that you guys are celebrating up there come on come on here we go why should we be full of joy in a world like we're in Carol prayed this did you know I was going to preach this when you prayed what you prayed there were two things I was like, I didn't, I, don't, I didn't share notes with her. And she's praying my message. What do we have to celebrate? The world is in a mess. Have you noticed? Listen to this. This is, um, I'm quoting now from, uh, from the book, All Things New. He said, though we are trying to put a bold face on things, the human race is not doing well at all. We appear to be suffering a great crisis of hope. It's taking place loudly in politics and economies. It's taking place quietly in the hearts of millions at this moment. When you consider the pain, suffering, and heartbreak contained in one children's hospital, one refugee camp, one abusive home, or war-torn village over the course of a single day, it's almost too much to bear. But then consider that multiplied out across the planet over all the days in a year, then down through history, it would take a pretty wild, uh, I'm sorry, it would take a pretty wild, astonishing, a breathtaking hope to overcome the agony and trauma of this world. How is God going to make it all right? How is he going to redeem all the suffering and loss of this world and in your life? Escapism isn't going to do it. No matter what religious version you choose. What about your hopes and dreams? What about your special places and memories? The things most dear to your heart. Is there no hope for any of that? What we ache for is redemption. What our heart cries out for is restoration. And I have a stunning, breathtaking news for you. Restoration is exactly what Jesus promised. Despite what may have been what you may have been told, he didn't focus your hopes on the great airlift to heaven. He promised the renewal of all things, including the earth you love, every precious part of it, and your own story. The climax of the entire Bible takes place with these words. I am making everything new. A day of great restoration is coming, not annihilation, restoration. That is the only hope 
powerful enough uh, to be for us what God, God calls in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6, the anchor for the soul. You might say, well, what I have, I, I, I maybe can rejoice over the earth because God's going to make a new heaven and a new earth, and we'll break that down a little more and back that up with all kinds of scriptures in just a moment. But you might say, well, I, you know, forget the earth. My life is a mess. And I, I just, I, I told Juliet that I was going to quote her uh, this week because Juliet has been facing some major challenges for a dear, dear loved one of hers. And she's bear, bearing that, that load and caring and praying and all of those things and seeing this loved one through. And, and at times she feels like I can't bear it. I just can't take it anymore. And it's really, really a challenge. And this week before a very consequential day that was going to happen on Friday, Thursday, she told me this. She said, you know what? You know what God's been telling me? No matter how much bad is going on in my life, I still have so much to be thankful for. So I've begun, I've begun to be thankful for things that I'd hardly ever thought of before. She says, I'm thankful for stairs as I'm walking up them. She gave me several examples of just things, the breath in her lungs, the, the, the things. And she says, God is just is giving me this sense of, you know, there's still reason to have joy in my life. And do you know that the secret of that is this, is that when you overcome uh, an unthankful heart and a joyless life and a, and a lack of praise in your life, you actually release more miracles into your life and into your surroundings because God is receiving your praise and he inhabits your praises. And wherever God is, he changes the, the cosmos. Wherever God comes, he changes circumstances, whether they're personal or global. So when you give yourself to joy, you give yourself to the presence of God and you give yourself to the release of God's will in this earth. Can you say amen? <laughs> I'm going to give you what I think is the ultimate reason why we should have joy. Why should we have joy? I'm going to say this. Because of home, because according to this story, the son that was far, far from home and in a mess, starving, expected to maybe get a chance to go back into his father's house as a slave, as a servant, not really a slave, but as a, as a hired servant. And instead, instead, the father welcomed him with open arms, home back to the father's table back to the father's house if you have nothing else to be thankful for just remember this no matter what's going on in your life if you're traveling with Jesus you're headed home you're headed home you're, gonna, you're, you're, you're going to be welcomed home it's this beautiful thing called grace and isn't home what we've been longing for all of our lives isn't home what we've been desperate for? That place of acceptance, that place of embrace, that place of peace. Sometimes we've had so much of a lack of that kind of a home or we've had enough good of that kind of home that we just want more knowing that there's more. Uh, Timothy Keller said home then is a powerful but elusive concept. A place that absolutely fits and suits us where we can be or perhaps find our true selves. Yet it seems that no real place or actual family ever satisfies these yearnings, though many situations arouse them. I was raised in a beautiful home, but not a perfect home. And I'm grateful that my parents are still with me, but 
is in all likelihood, I'm going to have to say goodbye to them in this life. But there's a place waiting for me where there's no goodbyes. A longing for home. If and wherever that home might exist. Keller said, why would home be so powerful and yet so elusive for us? The answer can be found as we examine one of the most pervasive themes of the Bible. Exile and homecoming. He said the reason why when you look through the scriptures, you see exile and homecoming in Joseph's life, Moses' life, Ruth's life, Jesus' life himself. And, and, and yet he says the whole theme is to point us to what God originally intended for us. We were created to live in the garden, the home of God where there was only life, only love, eternal life and eternal love. And yet through our disobedience, through our rebellion, through our refusal to listen to the one thing that God had told us not to do after he told us all that we could do, death entered into the world through our rebellion, through our sin, and not only death, but disease. And it led to broken lives, broken hearts, broken relationships, not only broken relationships between people, but between God and between people, which affects all other human relationships. Keller goes on to say, there we were to adore and serve His infinite majesty in the garden and tend to enjoy and reflect His infinite beauty. That was our original home, the true country we were made for. So we have to say, what happened? And the answer is, we left, just like the son did, we left our father's inheritance. But without the father, we traveled to a distant country to a foreign land so to speak in this case spiritually and physically we rejected our father we rejected our home we rejected his love we rejected his provision we rejected his care we wanted our authority instead of his authority we placed ourselves in a self-inflicted exile and ever since we have been searching for the home that we have lost and the father that we have fled no wonder why the world is going mad with this entertainment thing. They're looking for it in, 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 in multiple relationships outside of the bound of marriage. They're, sexual relationships I'm talking about. They're looking for it in all kinds of, uh, of illicit pleasures and, and, and just searching for it. And in, in so many ways, we've gone mad. What is this? It's a longing for our true home. Henry Nouwen said, the ongoing yearning of the human spirit, the yearning for a final return, an unambiguous sense of safety, a lasting home. Solomon in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, says God has made everything beautiful for his time. He has planted eternity in the heart of humans. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Nathaniel Hawthorne picked up on this passage of Scripture, and he says, Our Creator would never have made us such lovely days and given up the deep heart, and given us the deep hearts to enjoy them above and beyond all thought unless we were meant to be immortal. That's why death frustrates us so much. We know it's wrong. Now we know why. The Bible explains it all. This is why we have come into the place that we are and we're made to be eternal and yet we die and we're frustrated by it. 
Time runs out on our loved ones. Time runs out on our friends. Time runs out on our own lives. But the whole thing that God is doing is using that to point us to Him, to get desperate and look for the one who alone has the solution. Nathaniel Hawthorne went on to say, the longing isn't the issue. Our timing is. We keep mistaking the message of the promise and forget. We must wait for the renewal of all things if we truly find heaven on earth. I have a lot of slides normally when I'm talking. And we had a lot of slides for the scripture and for the prayer. But other than those first two introductory slides, this is the only slide that I'm going to want to show you. And when, when I ask this question, what do we have to celebrate? Just image that. Is it there? There it is. If you're listening by podcast, I don't know if you can Google search this or, you know, whatever you want to do. There's one of the most amazing pictures I've ever seen of a woman being embraced by Jesus, by the Father, and, and just a big, huge smile on her face. And just saying, I have every reason to celebrate because I am at home in the arms of my heavenly Father. Jesus said in Luke chapter 20, verse, uh, Luke chapter 10, verse number 20, he said, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. My name is written in heaven. I didn't write it there. The blood of Jesus wrote it there for me. I didn't write it there. He wrote it there for me. It's not my own righteousness. I'm unrighteous even after I've come to Jesus. I've, I messed up even after. I've, I've fallen short of the glory of God even after I've been transformed. Because God's not done with me yet. I'm getting better, but I'm still not arrived yet. But he, the only reason why my name's written there is because of the grace of Almighty God. And I have that to rejoice in. Can you say amen? amen. Come on. Where's home? I'm going to give you three answers to that question. Where's home? Number one, home is in God's presence. Whether it's in heaven or on earth. If you're in God's presence, you're, you're, in, you're in heaven. You're, you're, you're home. Amen? Jesus said that eternal life is to know him. That means that when we get to know Jesus, eternal life starts at that very second. We begin to live forever right then. Jesus says, I've come that you might have abundant life. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I'm different than him. I'm the exact opposite. I've come to give you abundant life. Jesus said, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. So if you have learned through prayer and worship and fellowshipping with the saints like you're doing this morning, and maybe getting plugged into a family group and a life class, and, and you learn maybe how to fast when God leads you to do that, and feast when God leads you to do that, and, and, and when to feast with believers, with saints, and then when to feast with non-believers, you will experience the presence of God. Jesus said to the people that go out into the whole world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations, I will be with you always. You can't just expect him to be with you in your prayer room. Sometimes you need to go out in the world and experience the presence of God when you're out on the streets, on the bus, wherever you are. Sometimes the greatest miracles and manifestations of the presence of God happen in places that are not within the four walls of a church, or in this case, within the 20 walls of a church, because we got walls everywhere. And uh, But the reality is, is that, is, that, is that God wants to manifest himself, so wherever the presence of God is, that's home. Can you say amen? amen. Home is also heaven. You know, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, talked about three things that are core, faith, hope, and love. 
He said these three things are the, are the essential building blocks of the Christian life, of human life. Here's, here's what um, uh, 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 John Eldridge says. He says, Scripture names hope as one of the three great forces of human existence. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. By saying they last forever, God names these three as immortal powers. A life without faith has no meaning. A life without love isn't worth living. A life without hope is a dark cavern from which you cannot escape. These things aren't simply virtues. Faith, hope, and love are mighty forces meant to carry your life forward, upward. They are your wings and the strength to use them. I believe hope plays the critical role. You'll find it pretty hard to love when you've lost hope. Hopelessness collapses into who cares. And what does it matter that if, if we have faith and we have no hope? Faith is just a rigid doctrine with nothing to look forward to. Hope is the wind in your sails, the spring in your step. Hope is so essential to your being that Scripture calls it an anchor for the soul. If you read the letters of Paul, you find out he talks a lot about love and faith. And he says that love and faith spring from hope. When you have hope in the eternal, when you have hope that God has made sense of your life, where you came from and where you're going for all eternity, love and faith will pour in abundance into your life. It is that hinge pin that releases faith and love in our lives. Jesus started with hope. Did you know that Jesus started with hope? He said this. He says the time, this is quoting Jesus, the time promised by God has come at last. That's what he announced. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. In, in this verse in chapter uh, Matthew chapter 4, he said, Jesus, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. Jesus first started with hope, we think of Jesus as giving us love and giving us faith. But the first thing that he wanted to do was to rouse their hope. There's a kingdom. It's real. You, you've been longing for it. You're under the oppression of Rome. You used to be under the oppression of Babylon. You're under the oppression of Greece and Persia and all these countries. And you've begun to lose heart. And Jesus came on the scene and said, guess what? The kingdom of God is near. God is coming to this place. And, and he arose uh, 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 within them this beautiful hope. And they began to place their faith in him and learn to love him. So because uh, we, we see this, and by the way, I just want to say that it even gets better than this. I just want to say that it even gets better than this. I've been talking about the presence of God, the home of God being on this earth through your relationship with God. I want to say that it even gets better. A few years ago, I was sitting with my buddy, Chris, uh, 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 Steve Kristulovich and Donna Kristulovich. We're having dinner together. The family's around the table. And we're saying to him, tell us about science. He's a, he was one of the main engineers at the Fermi Lab in Chicago. And he says, you know, when I started, nobody talked about God. Now they can't avoid it. He says, we get emails every day, and it's talking about things that nobody can explain anymore. You know, black holes and, and black matter and all these, you know, just all of these things. And he says, you know what they found? He says, they found that there are other dimensions. They're sure of it now. Scientists are sure of it, that there's other dimensions other than the ones we live in. He's telling us this over the dinner table. He says, you know what? 
scientists are just getting clued into this. Those of us who have believed the Bible, we believe this forever. We believe that there's other dimensions. We believe that God dwells in a different dimension. There are angelic beings. There are demonic forces that dwell in different dimensions. They're just coming to it. So then he began to describe it. He says what that means is where we're sitting right now, having dinner, there might be a baseball game going on in another dimension, crossing right through this dimension. There might be a ballroom dance that's going on that's crossing right through this dimension. And then I thought, forget the tunnels with the light at the end after death. When I step out of this life, I'm stepping right into the presence of God. I'm stepping in another dimension. There's no time travel. There's no tunnel. There's no wondering what it is. The, the apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The reality is, is that sometimes we see heaven as so distant we didn't realize it even scientifically. We can make a case that heaven is right here, right now. And so we can experience it in, the, in a spiritual sense, but we're also going to experience it in a, pres, in a, in a physical sense. Can you say amen, folks? All right. Whew, I'm almost having fun right now. Uh, heaven is waiting for you it's longing for you it doesn't just want you through prayer and worship it wants to look in your eyes I'm like old fashioned you don't realize this because you think you know like he's old but he's you know some of you younger guys he's old but he, he, he doesn't know the ancient stuff right I was raised by the ancient stuff and I know the ancient songs just as much as the new ones. And I love, we have a good, good father. It's who you are. I love those songs. But I could also pull out some oldies. And I pulled out an oldie this week. Yeah. Oh, I want to see him. <laughs> Look upon his face. There to sing forever of his saving grace. Yeah. On the streets of glory, yeah. let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, yeah. ever to rejoice. <laughs> I love Jesus now. I'm going to love him even more then when I see the nails, scars in his head. I don't know when that song says, yeah, I can only imagine what it will be like. I can only imagine what I, will I dance for you, Jesus, or otherwise be still. I don't know what it is, but I think I'm going to be transfixed for the first million years of all eternity to some of those nail-pierced hands. I'm just going to be fixated on them. I'm going to get a greater revelation of his love for me than I've ever had before. And so home with God is right now. But there's even more for us. There's this beautiful revelation of heaven. But there's even more. There's more than the presence of God. There's more than going home up in heaven. You say, well, how can there be more than that? Like, what are you trying to do? Like, one-upsmanship the pastor nearby? Are you trying to, like, compete with Reverend so-and-so, you know? By the way, I'd love to compete with, uh, what's his name? Um, Texas, Dallas, Texas, the uh, African-American. T.D. Jakes. I'd love to have a preach-off with T.D. Jakes. I would love it. I'd love to have him go and then me go next to him. You know why? Because it would be pathetic. I would lose by a million miles. And I would smile the whole way. And I would go, you go, bro. You go, you go. You do what you do, man. God's gifted you for that. You just be who you are, right? But you know what? I can preach. 
whether, whether it's with this, that, or the other, because it's not about me. It's not about T.D. Jakes. It's about the love of God. It's about the good news. By the way, you need to start thinking of yourself as a preacher if you haven't already. You don't have to preach beyond a pulpit. This is good news. It's for all of us to share. Declare it. If you don't know how to do the steps of salvation and prayers and all those things, just tell people what Jesus has done in your life. Just ask them how you could pray for them. Let the kingdom of God enter their life. Find out something that they need and pray for that. And let God enter into their life. I just, uh, where, where am I? Okay. All right. Listen to these verses. Isaiah 65, 17 through 19. Listen to these. You got to catch these. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. By the way, buckle your seatbelt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach well past 1230 but I'm not going to preach till one. I'm not going to worry about time because here's the deal. I'm going to preach one more time and then I'm not preaching for the rest of the summer. All of you, all, there's a whole bunch of people from this congregation and uh, we have some guest speakers and, and I'm doing some other things like I did last summer to prepare for the fall and we're going to do missions and all that stuff. So I got you now and I only got you one more time. So just, just relax, okay? If, you, if you're like, I can't take it anymore, you can just quietly slip out and, and we'll all go, hey, where are you going? And uh, no, I'm kidding. We won't do that. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I, I, this is, this is too much fun to stop for me. I don't know about for you. See, I will create a new heaven and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight in its people of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem. Take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. That's Isaiah 65. That's the Old Testament. The last book of the New Testament says this in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven. You want to say it with me? And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. It's not about just us dwelling up there in heaven, but God coming down and dwelling with us. They will be his people. God himself will be with them. It will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning. Thank God. Or crying or pain, thank God, for the old order of things has passed away. He was seated on the throne said, said, I am making everything new. God's got not just a new heaven for you, God's got a new earth for you. If he intended to say that God was going to you know, get rid of this earth, he wouldn't say, I, I'm going to make it new. He says, I'll, I'll replace it. He says, I, I'm going to make everything new. I'm not going to destroy it. I'm going to wipe it clean. I'm going to, just like the flood, remember the flood, it wiped the earth clean. The Bible talks about fire coming and the judgment of God. We know that fire is a purifying, uh, uh, you know, it's a pure, it has a purifying effect. And, and that's what God does. And you go, well, what about the sea? It says the sea will be no more. But then God talks about a river coming. And when I first thought about a river, I thought about a little stream. Do you know that the mile it points is 30 miles wide? Did you know that? Well, do you think that God's going to be, like, not doing anything? It's going to be a huge stream. It's going to be massive. 
It's going to be for all the nations. It's going to have trees on one side and the other that are going to, the leaves are going to be for the healing of the nations. We're going to eat that stuff. Did you know you eat in the new kingdom, the new, the, the, the new kingdom that's, the, that's the heaven on earth? Did you know that? Did you know that you eat there, that you're going to have good food? There's definitely going to be lasagna there. I know that because that's my favorite food. And so it's going to be amazing what we have in store for us. And, and if God were wiping away reality as we know it, this is what um, Eldridge says, if God were wiping away reality as we know it, ushering a new reality, the phrase would have, been, would have said, I am making all new things. But instead, he says, I'm making all things new. Jesus said, truly, I tell you, the renewal of all things. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Jesus is clearly not talking about heaven here. Heaven is a fire. It's, it's, it's real. Don't, don't think I'm supplanting. It's a new heaven, new earth. It's not, it's not one or the other. Guess what? All the dominion of God becomes available to us in the end. The domain of God in heaven, the domain of God on earth. It's an amazing thing. And so um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, just pass over because I made mention of a few things right there. Um, let me just say this. If you compare this message to religious messages from all over the world, it's, it's like night and day difference. There's no comparison. This is not nirvana. This is not being absorbed into the cosmos and nothingness and into whatever and losing our personhood. This is about you being you and even better. You know how I know that? When Jesus rose from the dead, he was Jesus. <laughs> they recognized him. He was different because he walked through walls. He had a glorified body. They locked the doors. They had him shut. He just walked right through. No problemo. I used to dream when I was a kid of flying. I'm convinced I'm going to fly in heaven. You know why I'm convinced I'm going to fly in heaven? Because Philip flew. He was translated from where, wherever he was to start to wherever he ended, I forget, Samaria was mixed in there somehow. He just got translated. He was in, he was in Samaria, beautiful revival, and he gets translated to the road, you know, the going out to wherever, and, and he meets that treasure of Ethiopia and leads him to the Lord, and Ethiopia is exposed to the gods. Awesome what God does. And by the way, all you, all you uh, people of African heritage, I just want to say something to you. DNA is found, and you know this as an anthropologist, we're all from Africa. They, even scientists have said we're from 200 families in North Africa. We all come from there. All right? But I just want to say this because I heard these, you know, kind of black Muslim, you know, people that were on there saying, man, Christianity is a white European religion and all that stuff. By the way, look around if you think that's the case. And you know what I did? I went over to them and I said, by the way, Christianity absorbed Africa before it ever touched Europe. Amen. Christianity was born in the Middle East and in Africa. Our fathers, our mothers are from there. And so get rid of all the lies, all the stuff that the enemy has told us. You know, that's, that's free. You know, you know. All right. Total non-existence. That's the Buddhist hope. That's not our hope. Total non-existence. Everlasting tranquility of death is the Hindu's hope. Plato said, this is not the real world. This is a, this is a, this is a, a, a fake world until we reach the ideal world. That's what they said. You know what Jesus said? I love heaven and I love the earth. 
And I'm going to make them both new. You know, I, I'm going to walk on water in heaven, in, on the new earth. I'm going to walk in water. You know how I know it? Because Peter did. If he walked on water, I'm going to walk on water. I'm going to go check me out, man. I'm walking on water. <laughs> Never could do this before. This is awesome. It's amazing. N.T. Wright said, it is not we who go to heaven. It is heaven that comes to earth. Now, I believe that if I die right now, I'm going to heaven. But I believe according to Acts chapter 3, where, where Peter was preaching, and remember, Peter was the one that listened to Jesus, and when Peter was preaching, he says, you know what, Jesus is in heaven, and he used the word until, until, all things are renewed. Why did Jesus say he's in heaven and until? Because Revelation teaches us that when Jesus comes back, he creates right here, right where we are, after all of this has been cleansed of all evil, of all sin, of all rebellion, of every wicked thing that has been on the face of the earth. He's going to recreate it. He's going to restore it. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. It's not just pie in the sky. Sometimes as Christians, we thought, I'm going to be born in heaven. I'm going to be floating around in a cloud with a heart for all eternity. That's not what it is. We're going to eat from the tree of life. You know how heaven starts? With a party. With a celebration. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to eat together. We're going to feast together. God is going to start a, an endless celebration. And when we get have to leave. If we start hearing a story, nobody's going to have to say, hey, i got to get home. Why? Because they're home already. And you can just keep going with that story. You know, when I see, when I see celebration, I said the marks of joy, the marks of the celebration are feasting and laughter. You're going to laugh in heaven. You're going to laugh till you die and then resurrect again. You're going to laugh until you say, oh, it hurts, but it doesn't really, because I'm in a resurrected body. I've got a glorified body. Man, if I was down on the earth, this would hurt so much, you got to stop. But if in heaven, you're just going to enjoy it. It could go forever. There's not just going to be sounds of singing. There's going to be a chorus of laughter. There's going to be times when you're going to look in the eyes of Jesus, and you're not just going to be filled with awe. You're going to be filled with such joy that it's going to tickle your tickle bone. It's going to, it's, you're just going to laugh. There's going to be a beautiful celebration. And I know that we're going to fall before him. It's going to be everything. Everything is going to be made new. Silence is going to be made new. Shouting is going to be made new. Celebration is going to be made new. Ah, dancing, singing. Imagine the music that you're going to hear in heaven. Imagine. The Bible says that when he goes, when he gets us to heaven, it's going to be every tribe, every tongue, every language. That means polka is going to be in heaven, probably. Uh, that means that there's going to be music from every ethnicity. There's going to be every language spoken. It says every language is going to be there. Well, you say, well, that's not going to work because that happened in, 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 uh, after, you know, Babel and, and nobody could understand each other. Folks, what I'm telling you is God's given you a glorified body. That means a glorified mind. I'm like a typical American. I speak one language. My best friend in the world speaks eight languages in Harare, Zimbabwe. I, you know, we sometimes are, are impressed by how many languages 
people from the rest of the world speak. And I'm not saying there aren't Americans that are like you. It's just I'm not like one of them, and most of us are not. In heaven, no problemo. I'm going to speak Espanol. I'm going to speak Tagalog. I'm going to speak whatever it is you speak, and I'll speak it. Why? Because there's going to be no barriers in relationship between us. We're going to celebrate our culture. We're going to celebrate our ethnicity. We're not going to celebrate the depravity of it. We're going to celebrate the God's purpose of it. It's going to be a beautiful experience. You know what I'm telling you? Is that we're not just going to experience heaven. We're going to experience the new earth. Can you believe that? Now, I know I'm shaking some religious bones because even after the incarnation, after Jesus came down to this earth in human form, we still find it difficult to think of God coming down to earth, to us. We think that God has to stay in his high and lofty place and that we're just sinners and all of that. We're too far below God. But I'm just telling you, that's exactly what God did and that's exactly what God's going to do. He comes down to the earth he created and that was his plan all along to create people in his image who would want to be in relationship with him to be with him those who he created in his image that wanted to be with him forever and ever and and those people who want that who come to a knowledge through his grace of the truth we get heaven we get earth both realms of God's kingdom the great renewal rescues us from all the vague ethereal unimaginable visions We've been given an eternal life of somewhere up above, and we get to experience God not only in heaven, but right here on the earth. Can you say amen? All right. Man, I wish, I, I will curtail just a little bit so I don't go way, way longer. But I want to tell you what that new earth doesn't have. And I want to tell you what that new heaven doesn't have it doesn't have goodbyes say goodbye to my sister three years ago when I see her in heaven I'll never say goodbye to her again (laughs) you know Eldridge said that really life is just a series of goodbyes Aren't you glad you're, you have a hope and a place where you don't have to say see you later? Amen. I don't have any more time. we got to break up this beautiful party that we have. No more goodbyes. Amen. You know, there's no medicine in heaven. You know why? No sickness. There's no sickness. There's no, no addictions in heaven. No need for a therapist in heaven. The following people will be out of a job. They'll have to start a new career. Doctors, lawyers, dentists, psychiatrists, police, soldiers, tax collectors, and funeral directors. All out of a job. All out of a job. But there's even good news to that. No worries. God will have a new career for them. Jesus said to us in Revelation chapter 5 that he purchased us with his blood to make us kings and priests unto our God. They thought that their job was important now. How about until they start becoming a priest unto God? And so they start to rule and reign with God over the new heavens and the new earth. Imagine how good fulfilled they're going to feel at that point. No more allergies in heaven. No more arthritis in heaven. No injuries, no flu, no damn cancer. You're surprised I said that. I guess I am too. 
I didn't say it facetiously. I said, I want, I want cancer to be damned in the name of Jesus. It's a curse, and we need, to not, we need to not be intimidated by it. Dan Frost is healed in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen? And we need to not be intimidated. There's no death in heaven. There's no heartache in heaven. No pains. No, no loneliness in heaven. There's no more famine in heaven. No more war. No more hatred. No more discrimination. No more division, whether political, racial, cultural. No need for hospitals, ambulances, fire stations, 911 police stations, armies. Revelation 21 says he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Amen. <laughs> if you have a restored, new, renewed earth to look forward to, it is totally unnecessary for you to try to find utopia in this life. Amen. Just give up. Let's go. I need the perfect traffic situation. I need the perfect job. I need the perfect house and all that. Have you lost sight of what's waiting for you? Have you lost sight? I mean, God bless you with a job. God bless you. They'll clear the way for you in traffic. God bless you with a house. All of those things. But if you don't have those things, you still have everything that you could ever imagine waiting for you. Those who hope, who have hope, uh, this kind of hope that we're talking about, they live different, differently. They keep themselves pure. They keep themselves focused. They live simply. The scripture says in 1 John 3, who knows how we'll end up. What we know is that when when Christ is openly revealed, we'll see him, and in seeing him, become like him. All of us who look forward to his coming, stay ready with a glistening purity of Jesus' life as a model for our own. I got to cover this. I got to say, you need to fight for this world. Don't, you know, there's no, there's no such thing as becoming so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. You need to fight for this world, but be encouraged that this wor world is not all there is. This is not the end. And you got to keep that hope because those who fight for justice often have their lives taken away as a result of that fight. Just ask Dr. King. If you read History, wrote C.S. Lewis, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Jesus lived the way he did in this world for this world because his hope was set beyond this world and that is the secret of his life. So don't worry about getting your head in the clouds. Get your head in the clouds and God will put, wrap your head around this earth and you'll be able to serve this earth without despair because the reality is Jesus said the poor you'll have with you always. No matter how much you help the poor, there will still be poor. That, that, I want to tell you this story. A woman missionary went in to, to India and she began to minister to women who, who were trapped in the sex slave, sold into slavery at six. 10, 11 years old in a sex slavery. And when, when they're trapped in this thing, they're never going to be taken into their homes again. In that culture, they're now tainted. They're now uh, no longer worthy to be bearing the family name. There's nowhere else for them to go but Jesus. And this woman knew that. So she taught him about a hope that is beyond this life. 
And this Eldridge who went and visited them in this beautiful place where they were coming to know Jesus, he said, I watched these women stand up and, and they, would, they, would, they would smile and they would laugh and tears of joy would roll down their face and they would worship Jesus. And when the service was over, they would go right back to the only place that, was, that, that, that they had to be in this life, right back into sex slavery. And then they would come back again into this place. You know what? There's a dynamic there. That no matter how hard it's gotten for you, no matter how hard it might ever get in your life, those women teach us something. That if you have a hope for more than this world, you've got the true hope that defines all of human existence. You know that come hell or high water, there's a home that you can live in right now. There's a home that you can live in in heaven. And there's a new heaven and a new earth that is waiting for you. And that in that you can rejoice. Can you say amen? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Said I'd be done by one. I got 10 minutes. Here we go. <laughs> I said I'd be done before one. So I got five minutes, okay? Unfortunately, I got to say this. Unfortunately, the new heaven and the new earth are not for everyone. All that we're talking about is not for everyone, unfortunately. And it's not because they're not welcome. It's only because they don't want to come. Some will reject. But Jesus says, even when they reject, that's reason to rejoice. Because you're being treated like the prophets of old that were rejected. And you might not be able to rejoice over their decision, but you can rejoice over your faithfulness to, to reach out to them. They're the self-righteous, the satisfied, the selfish those who think this life is enough for them are not going to be at all interested in another life. Not all want to join the party. Some don't understand why you are celebrating. Some object to your celebration because they play, they're fans of another team. Their team is self-righteousness. They're not dependent upon a relationship with a father who does all for us except receive all that he does for us. The older brother in the story that we've, we've been focusing on, he's a know-it-all. He doesn't want to play well with others. He doesn't want to enter into the celebration. And by the way, neither do younger brother rebels until they finally come to their senses. Henry Nouwen said, why do I keep leaving home where I am called a child of God, the beloved of my father? It's almost as if I want to prove to myself and to my world that I do not need God's love. And that's the rebellion acted all over again. So don't get your expectations too high that everyone's going to be excited about what you're excited about. Let people make their decisions, but make sure you're solid in your decision and hold fast to the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. And when you hold fast and let nothing shake you from that, when you keep on celebrating, guess what? Maybe not everyone will follow you, but eventually somebody's going to stop and say, why are you so happy? Tell me what you have. I want some of it. This is a miserable world. My life's miserable. I don't know how you're celebrating. You know what? Susan Dre's so faithful to go to that nursing home, that, that retirement center year after year for six years. And just last two weeks ago, for the first time, uh, in all those times that she is aware of, somebody says, I want to receive Jesus in my life. Doesn't matter how long it takes you, 
to get bring somebody to Jesus. It's, it's worth it when it has. So don't live for, for fantasy video games. Don't live for illusions on the a movie screen. Don't worry about your bucket list. This is the only chance I have. If I'm going to see Peru, i got to do it now. Guess what? you got a whole thousand-year millennium coming up to you and all of eternity coming up to you. If you want to visit Peru, you'll get a chance, all right? So don't worry about putting all of your, your, your effects. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Can you say amen? All right. What do you do at the end of this? If you, if you don't know Jesus, you, you, what are you doing? Like, you don't want to stay out there right in the cold? Come on. If you haven't been welcomed by the Father, I remember I was 16 years old. I had just gone with the crowd. I, I, I turned and said, I'm sorry, God. And I felt the love of God just envelop me. I felt his welcome. It was awesome, spiritually. It just took over my world. And and I don't know if you'll feel exactly what I felt, but I know this. You'll know very soon that your life is different. If you've never come to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now to start praying where you're seated. Just start praying and saying, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I need you to come into my life. You just go ahead and start doing that, and I'll talk to the rest of the people that are here. The rest of you, how do you respond to something like this that we've just talked about? I believe that the only way to respond to the kind of thing that we're talking about right now is just celebration. I've been saying for weeks, make space for grace in your life. Through your own devotions, through prayer, through reading the word, through being in fellowship with others, make space for grace. And I'm going to tell you this right now. One of the best ways to make space for grace is to celebrate that grace. Just worship the Lord.